Jesus is surrounded by publicans and sinners. They want to hear his teaching. And then the Pharisees and the scribes are murmuring against Jesus, saying, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. Let's pray and then we'll get into this text. Father, we're so thankful for time in your word with your church. We ask your blessing upon this time. May you be glorified. May the church be edified. Come Holy Spirit and and do a work right now that only you can. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. What is the accusation of these Pharisees and scribes? It's, It's a wonderful accusation. It's an accusation that I want to be accused of and that I want you to be accused of and I want our church to be accused of. This man receives and eats with sinners. Now Jesus takes this accusation and in this moment uses the opportunity to teach about the lost being found. It's a warning to the religious who might so avoid sinners as to never reach them with the good news of the gospel. This passage is a call to lost sinners to say, Jesus receives you. I want to speak to you today and next Sunday on the three parables that Jesus gives here as he talks about things that are lost being found. We begin with lost sheep and we get to lost coins and then we will see two lost sons. And we know that story. We call it the prodigal son. There's a wonderful story of a little girl on a cold London night. She stepped shivering into the shelter of a church where the service was in progress. And after the service, when the congregation had gone, she came to the minister and she said, Sir, I never knew my name was in the Bible. He smiled and said, Well, little girl, what is your name? My name, she answered excitedly, is Edith. And he said, I'm sorry to disappoint you. But Edith does not appear in the Bible. And she insisted, yes, it does. I heard you read it just tonight. You read where it said, Jesus received sinners and eateth with them. (laughs) So to this young lady and to Miss Edith, I'd say, I'm sorry, your name isn't in the Bible. But what a blessing through the faith of a child here to be reminded that Jesus is the friend of sinners. He will receive them and he eats with them. There's a story in, from D.L. Moody's heyday at the Sunday school program in Chicago that he was running there that there was a young boy who would walk several miles to attend Sunday school. And finally somebody said, son, there's churches closer by your house that also have Sunday school. Why don't you go closer to home? And his reply fits well in this text. The young boy said, because they love a feller over there. What a blessing. I want us to consider these parables and consider ourselves. So we see lost sheep and lost coins and lost sons. Is the church in America today a friend of the sinner? Let's begin with lost sheep in verses 3 through 7. Already we read verses 1 and 2 that the publicans and sinners drew near to hear him and the Pharisees murmured against him. Verse 3, he spake a parable unto them saying, What man of you, having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine which is in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost, until he found it? When he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, 
which was lost. So one of 100 sheep is lost. The shepherd leaves 99 sheep to go find one, and he rejoices when he finds the one sheep and he brings it home. Now, this is a story of common understanding in the day that Jesus is giving it here. A shepherd of this day would not think twice about moving heaven and earth to find a lost sheep. The scribes, the Pharisees, these crowds gathered around. They knew this. They accepted this. This was part of their life and their practice. So Jesus is challenging them through this. They are objecting to Jesus doing the exact same for people. The very thing that they would not think twice about. Moving heaven and earth to to go after a sheep. They are saying to Jesus, you're a friend of sinners. You receive sinners. You eat eat with them. Now I want to point out this morning that by percentage, 99 kept is pretty good. It's very good, actually. Anybody get 99% in anything that you do? That's very good numbers. In fact, as I've kind of played straw boss around the church with the construction, if I could get 99% attendance from the subcontractors, I would think that's very good numbers. Forgive me. Pray for me. I think in any other instance than this, we would conclude, it's fine. I joke around. i got four sons, and somebody will say, uh, did you forget something sometimes? Because I'll have three, and I won't have the other one. Uh, one Sunday, Jimmy called me. I guess Jimmy was here shutting things off and cutting off the lights. He said, did you forget something today? And I said, did I leave a kid there? He said, yep. And I said, all right, I'll turn around and come back. And he said, no, nah, I'll bring him to you. I'm on the way to your house anyway. I was like, all right, thanks, Jimmy. Appreciate it. But I joked that, you know, three out of four, that's... If I could have batted that well in baseball in high school, I'd have been happy with this. We would say, this is fine, 99%. But not Jesus. This is not how he operates. And this is not how he illustrates how he operates in this parable. In John chapter number six, verse 37, he said this. All that the father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. How many? What was his figure there? All. What does all mean? We practice around here that all means all. And that's all that all means. Can you think of the confidence this brings to the flock of God? Knowing Jesus is saying here, there were a hundred, one is lost. I left the 99 to go after the one and rejoiced when I found it and brought it back. When he says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And I will in no wise cast them out. A scholar named Kenneth Bailey wrote this. He said, it is the shepherd's willingness to go after the one that gives the 99 their real security. If the one is sacrificed in the name of the larger good of the group, then each individual in the group is insecure. He knows that he too is of little value. If lost, he will be left to die. When the shepherd pays a high price to find the one, he thereby offers the profoundest security to the many. That's exactly right. When I was a teenager, the, the Christian school system that I was involved in would have a young preacher boys preaching competition. And you, get, you got five minutes and you and all the boys in the state would preach. And then if you won in your state, you could go to the international level. And there were folks there from mostly the United States and a large group from the Philippines and 
people from all over England, the Canadians would drive you nuts. They would show up to this big student convention with Canadian flags, and we're in America. They're waving them around, and we said, yeah, you Canadians. And they, we said, we don't like you, and they said, we don't care. <laughs> but the, one of the years that I preached at this, I preached this text. In fact, I titled the sermon, Why He Left the Ninety and Nine. Some of you may remember the very first time I ever came here. It was in like June of 2010. I was invited to preach here. You guys were looking for a pastor. I preached that sermon. Why he left the 99. Sorry about that. First time you ever heard me preaching, I, I reused a sermon. Gave you leftovers. That's the exact point that I, I preached as a 16-year-old. Why did Jesus leave 99 sheep to go after one sheep? I remember my points from back then. He, he wanted to try their patience. It's really something. You're, you're 99. Do you think of it like us? I've stayed in the flock, Jesus. I've done my, what I'm supposed to do. I didn't run off. I didn't fall in a hole. I didn't get my head stuck in a thorn bush. Why are you leaving me to go after them? Try their patience. To test their character. When the cat's away, the mice will play. So the shepherd leaves the 99 to go after the one. And what are the 99 left to do while he's gone? Well, they're, they're going to see how they truly are. What do you like when Jesus is not around, when the shepherd's not around? He wanted to teach them courage. You're going to have to be brave while the shepherd's gone. What a wonderful blessing, though, as we consider this teaching. What a blessing it is to the flock. Seeing the shepherd go after this one lost and bringing it home found. Well, Jesus is clear in spite of all of that in verse 7 that this parable is to illustrate gospel ministry. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over the one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. He has come from heaven to save sinners. Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Luke 5.32, Jesus says, I, have, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And here we read, there will be joy in heaven over one more center, sinner repenting. And he puts this up against the joy of the, of the 99. In fact, he says here at the end of verse number 7, more than over 99 just persons which need no repentance. Now that's, that's awfully convicting. In fact, it kind of brings us to where we find ourselves often in the Christian life. Oh, I've been saved and I go to church and I read my Bible and I pray and I do the checklist of Christian things that Christians ought to do. Kind of this bland Christian life. Now I'm not encouraging you to go embrace some sin so that you can repent and freshen things up with the Lord. God forbid that we live unto sin that grace may abound. But what do we find here? When we kind of get to the place where we think, oh, we've got this settled and we need no more repentance, we're robbing the joy of the thing. Now, from before the foundation of the world, the church's account before God was settled. Ephesians chapter 1 teaches us that very well. In 1994, I came to realize that my account had been settled. On the cross, Jesus pronounced our account settled. 
As he said, it is finished. To Telestai, paid in full. Whenever that was for you in your life, it's a wonderful day. And the point Jesus is making here in this verse is these moments in time bring joy. He says, in the presence of angels in heaven. R.C. Sproul said here in his commentary, when a lost sinner is found, there is a party in heaven. Now, R.C. Sproul was a very serious Presbyterian, so his version of party and your version of party is probably a little different. Let's stick with his version of party. You wild Baptists in here, okay? He says, the angels of God rejoice. The heavenly host celebrates that a human being has been redeemed. And I know I've been in church all of my life. We get hung up over the wording of some phrases here. Some of you, when I said the angels of God rejoice, quoting Dr. Sproul, you said, no, the Bible doesn't say the angels rejoice because it says there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels. But you could, you could get every child in the place up here this morning and set them up and tell them a joke they do not understand way over their head. But you laugh and the adults laugh. And what are all the kids going to do? They're going to laugh. We used to do this when we were in youth ministry. We would tell this joke to the kids. We'd say uh, two ducks were sitting in a bathtub. One duck said to the other duck, hey, man, pass me the soap. And then the other duck said, what, do I look like a typewriter? See, it worked there. That joke makes no sense. It's not meant to be funny, but I got some giggles from this joke. I know that we understand we, the, the angels maybe don't quite get redemption and have cause to rejoice. But you know when the angels know when it's time to rejoice? When God rejoices. And Jesus is making clear here, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels. Well, who's in the presence of the angels? They're just God and the angels. And we can get deeper into that, but I just want to make the point here that there's rejoicing. Trent Butler says, this is what heaven is like. 99 self-righteous people who keep all the rituals, festivals, and rules bring no joy to heaven. Sorry if that's news to you. I know we, we think sometimes we are bringing joy to heaven, don't we? Boy, I'm, I've done good this week. I've, <laughs> I've been self-righteous. I've kept all the rules. I've kept all the holy days. I've said all the right prayers at the right times. I've smiled in front of the right people. The Bible never says this brings joy to heaven. But now one sinner confessing his sin and repenting sets off party time in heaven. God is concerned about the lost who will admit they are lost and turn back to him. He wants people to put the sinful life behind them and follow him. Pharisees never do this. Why? They never realize they are lost. They always count themselves among the saved, even though they have never repented of their sins. Start the party in heaven today. Repent of your sins and be saved. Man, it's a good quote from Butler. And then a quote from John Wesley. We'll just cover every spectrum of, the the of theology here this morning. Wesley said, The church has nothing to do but save souls. Therefore, spend and be spent in this work. So we begin with lost sheep and we continue into lost coins. And here we get a parable that points us toward the bride of Christ. Look at verse 8. Either what woman, having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it? A piece of silver in this time was about a day's wages. So you can understand the parable if that's all you know. 
She has 10 days wages saved up. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I, we could probably not be surprised of how many of us could raise our hands and say, I don't have 10 days pay saved up. She's got 10 days wages saved up and she loses one. What is she going to do? She's going to seek diligently till she finds it and then she's going to rejoice when it is found. Now, you study this passage further and you come to know more. I'm going to quote you Warren Wiersbe here. He explains this well. When a Jewish girl is married, she began to wear a headband of 10 silver coins to signify that she is now a wife. It was the Jewish version of our modern wedding ring, and it would be considered a calamity for her to lose one of those coins. Palestinian houses were dark, so she had to light a lamp and search until she found the lost coin, and we can imagine her joy at finding it. Now that gives us new information here. It's not simply that I had a day's wages lost. It's that the bride lost one portion of the bridegroom's gift. Ladies, you understand this. You may have a, a wedding or an engagement ring and should a stone fall out, you're going to hunt for that stone. You're going to wish that it hadn't fallen out. Probably in the back of your mind, you're going to grit your teeth and say, doggone cheap at cheapskate, bought me a ring that the, the diamonds fall out of. But besides that, you're not going to want to lose the portion of this ring but we understand this in our relationship to Christ. Jesus is the groom. The church is the bride. All the pieces will be in place for His wedding feast. The Holy Spirit will search out all who make up the church. And they will all be found and present for this wedding. Now how does the Holy Spirit do this work? He indwells believers. And He empowers us to fulfill the Great Commission. Amen. This is how the Holy Spirit does the seeking. What if this woman had said, nine pieces are okay? Like the if the shepherd had said, I still have 99 sheep. Like the dad said, I still have three sons. What if the wife said, well, I, you know, the diamond's missing, but it's still a gold ring. It's, it's good enough. No, it doesn't work like that. I imagine if the lady in our parable here had said, well, nine pieces is okay. What's that going to look like? Their culture was ten pieces of silver in a headband. This was letting people know, I was previously unmarried, but now I am married. And I'm proud to be married. I have a husband. What does it say to the society if there's only nine there? The guy was such a bum, he couldn't get me, he couldn't get me the ten there, but I married him anyways. I don't think her dad would have gone for that. Now, that wasn't the case. She, she had lost one. So we see the cause for rejoicing. We see the reason for diligent seeking. We see the implications for the church. God has left the church here with a commission. Seek the lost. R.C. Sproul says when God commands us to preach the gospel and we refuse to do it or demean the vocation, we are being arrogant to the extreme. To deny the validity of evangelism, as some within the Christian church do, is treason. Did you catch that? To deny the validity of evangelism is treason. It is the mandate of Christ, and it is the example of Christ to seek and to save the lost. For when even one is redeemed, the angels rejoice. Church, we have to be busy in this work. Note the coin in this parable. What can this coin do to be found? 
Look at verse 8. What woman having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth light a candle and sweep the house and seek till she find it? What's the coin's role here? Can it jump up and down? Can the George Washington on the front of the coin say, hey, I'm over here. Somebody tell us, what's the coin's role in this parable? Nothing. It's just going to sit there. If it's down in the couch cushions, it's going to stay in the couch cushions. If it's rolled under the fridge, it's going to stay under the fridge. Oh, man. Don't you hope that's not where you have to go after it? All different kinds of societies live under refrigerators. It's, it's a whole new world under there. The coin is lifeless, inanimate. It cannot move. It, it can't even bleat for help like a sheep would. It can't do that. Spiritually, from the point of view of the Spirit, mankind lost is just as lifeless. Ephesians 2. And you hath he quickened, made alive, who were dead in your trespasses and sins. Dead men do nothing. Only the Holy Spirit who can, is able to rescue those who are, in this sense, lost. Well, though helpless, thankfully, because of God, we're not hopeless. Just as the shepherd searches for the sheep, and the woman searches for the silver. Jesus seeks to save. And he's commissioned his church in the power of the Holy Spirit to show the lost, the gospel, to tell them this good news and let them be saved. Well, this leads to rejoicing. Verse 9 and 10. And when she had found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peach which I have lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Now just think of this joy. The woman found either a large portion of her life savings or a portion of her bridegroom's marriage gift. Oh, there's great joy there. And Jesus teaches that there is such joy in heaven when one more person who is lost is found. It caused me to wonder, do we have the same joy and celebration over this? Do we share God's love and pity for sinners? Are our hearts so heavy for their state that we are overwhelmed with joy when just one more repents? Well, the next heading is going to help us answer that question as we consider the two sons. And just in case you won't be here next week, there's the older brother at home. There's the younger brother who left home. And boy, the older brother, he's awfully bitter. He's awfully pharisaical. He doesn't seem happy at all that his son who was lost has come home. I want to conclude there today and pick back up next time. But I want to end on this note. It is always a joy to find something that is missing. You know this from your everyday experiences. Even if what you find is something small, you typically, you're going to tell somebody else about it. Look what I found. Have you ever done this? Hey, look, look what I found. Or, hey, you'll never believe what I just discovered. That's mine. I, I, I try to read news instead of watch news. And then I, I've gotten into this habit of I don't even always read the news. I'm afraid of what it might tell me. So I read the headlines. And then I'll tell people, 
You won't believe this headline that I read. What was the rest of the story? I don't know. I didn't read it, but I read the headline at least. We, we get excited over things we find in life. Yet the simple joy of finding something lost cannot compare with the surpassing joy of being found by Jesus Christ. What a joy it is when Jesus finds you in your lost and helpless situation. When you respond by repenting of your sins and receiving His free gift of eternal life. What a joy it is to see someone else come to Christ. What a joy it is this very thing to God Himself. He tells us this here. When Jesus spoke about joy before the angels, we presume this is God Himself. It's a unique thing for us to think of the angels seeing God have joy. I never thought of God rejoicing. If you want to bring joy to the heart of God and to your own heart, then turn away from your sin and trust in Jesus Christ for your salvation. If you're not yet a believer, heaven is waiting on you to celebrate. What joy there will be in heaven when you finally come to Christ. Then once you have come to Christ, do everything you can to welcome other people with the love of God, just as Jesus welcomed here tax collectors and sinners. Jesus is looking to receive sinners. And He's calling you and I to be a part of the search party. This is what we find in the first two parables of things that are lost. And we'll look to the rest next time. Let's bow and pray.